We've had some terrible news. Mr. Lebowski's in seclusion in the West Wing. Mr. Lebowski. Funny. I can look back on a life of achievement, challenges met, competitors bested, obstacles overcome. I've accomplished more than most men and without the use of my legs. What? What makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? Dude. Huh? Uh, I, I don't know, sir. Is it being prepared to do the right thing? Whatever the cost. Isn't that what makes... This is Gutterballs, the Lebowski Deepcast. Like, oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of the Big Lebowski. It allows life to exist in the bleak, black emptiness of space. Providing insight. I don't know when she said that. <laughs> Maybe Saint Sneaker comes and like puts little trinkets in them. Commentary has found himself in a world turned upside down. <laughs> flare, 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 flare. And conjecture. It looks like the pool is empty. They shot it all on a green screen. You can't do a pickup. And now, gutter balls. Now maybe that's live. Who knows? We're live. In one way or the other. You would think 23 episodes in, we might know what we're doing. It's better that we don't. I would say. If we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't be able to face ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you get up every morning and look at that and say, yeah, that's what I did last night? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ugly. Ugly. <laughs> you try to, like, do the math on... How many times you've seen this movie if you piece together all the minutes you've watched it and you just make it like a percentage of your life and it becomes distressing. Yeah, it's just not possible. No, but here we are. Apparently it is possible. Because shit, man. Well... It's minute 23. It's minute 23, and I watched Olympus Has Fallen this week. Oh, really? I did. How was that? It has that guy from 300 in it. Yeah, I know that. What's his that's name? That's about all I know. Ger- Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, that's it. I was thinking it was Clive Owen when I was going into the movie, so... I was a little confused. (laughs) I kept waiting for him to show up, you know? I'm like, man, we're halfway through this. I haven't seen Clive Owen once. This guy kind of looks like Clive Owen. I seem to write, but that's not... He's going to be like the president's special person in charge of, you know, blowing shit up or something. He's going to come in like all heroic, but he just kept not coming. And eventually I had to... Except that it was the other guy that was the protagonist. Gerard. Gerard? Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. He was the protagonist, not Clive Owen. Jerry Butler. Jer Bear, I like to call him. Yes. 
He is so different. Like, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, 300 is what I... Yeah, put him on a map. First time, put him on the map for some ice on. But, like, he is nothing like that guy in 3. I guess that's partly, like, acting. Pretending. Other roles have not been Acting is pretending. And part of it is, I don't know if that was, like, a CGI body they added onto him. To make him look, like, twice the size he is in every other movie. Yeah, in. you know, I don't know how they do that. It's lots of tricks they use. CGI yeah. being one of them. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's bizarre that like, I I mean, you know, as the protagonist, protagonist of uh, 300, to see him now is like, he just looks like some little dorky guy. What do you think about? But I guess he's well, still you know hot. What? No, or yeah, he's still like, hot. He's considered hot. He's pretty hot, and uh, he wasn't Although that little in this it. movie. He was pretty like they whatever they did, they shot it a certain way or they, whatever. He was a little, he was a little puffed out, a little beefy. He's a little beefy, a little beefy. So you're gonna ask me something? No, I don't think so. I just mentioned okay. that I saw Olympus Has Fallen. I was well, going to ask you, though. What do you think? What do I think? Right. We what were, do I think of 300? I was going to go that... off a, on a tangent from this tangent. So, yeah, what do you think of 300? I did not like it. Why not? I'm one of the few people that didn't like it. I felt it was pro-fascist. <laughs> I did disagree with it on political reasons. Fucking fascist? And it was an okay. It was just an okay movie, otherwise. But it was pro-fascist, and that just distracts me from even being giving any kind of like critique of it as art or film or entertainment. Well, let's talk about it as a political propaganda piece. Then, what made it pro-fascist to you? Um, it was well, okay. So it was definitely pro-war, and it was pro power from war it conflated um physical deformity with moral defect like physical defect with moral defect right you could say um there was a famous episode of thundercats that did that but they they were really clever about it and they switched up the defects where the beautiful defected person who was all angelic turned out to be the evil one and then the twisted troll-like one turned out to be the nice one but initially like the thundercats were all wanting the angelic looking one on their side it's like hey don't be so surface oriented yeah exactly this movie could have used a little jolt of thundercats a little bit lionel maybe should have come in there yeah yeah but whatever i'm just yeah it was mostly maybe fascist isn't quite the right word um, you know, I'd have to like revisit my notes from six or seven or eight years ago, however long ago that was, <laughs> to, to remember exactly. But I mean, pull up your me notebook. Pro, it's definitely pro war. Your composition book. Yeah. And you go to the page that has the 300 exactly. notes on it. Exactly. I did see 300 in Man's Chinese Theater, though. Are you serious? I'm serious. Is that the same time when you bought flip-flops at a Ralph's? <laughs> that is the exact same thing. Holy right. shit. Yep. My, my, yeah, it was the same trip to LA. We just closed another loop. We did, big time. Fucking A. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> we did that. That All right. happened. All right. 
Speaking, so let, let's zero in here. Well, here, on this film. but speak first. Okay, okay. Speaking of, and I am going to talk about the film. Speaking of notes, I wanted to revisit quickly. What kind of notes does Monty possibly <laughs> think the dude will give him? Oh no. I don't know. I would love to see that exchange, though. Hey, just be a little less weird. Is that a note? Possibly? Or it could just be like, it was awesome. Don't be so like, don't have swallowed a basketball just before the performance. Maybe that's a note. Because he's a weird-shaped man, this Monty. Yes. Don't need the, like, cushion on the floor. Just roll on the floor, you know? I know you're getting up there in years, but just that kind of takes me out of the reality. What are these notes he's going to give him? In my fantasy world, they shot that scene, this interaction you talked about. Yes. And it exists somewhere. And you could see it. I would love to know what that is, you know, or, you know, I, I, you know, frequently invoke the concept of Lebowski expanded universe, right? Like that's something that maybe, you know, future scholars and filmmakers could undertake, right? Get those two out, get Bridges and whoever played Monty together. Hey, Monty. And film that scene. Notes. Because, like we've said, movies, to a degree, are life with many of the boring parts cut out. So you're only seeing... So first of all, you're seeing a particularly interesting portion of, theoretically, an interesting person's life. But then, even within that, you cut out the boring parts. So it would be fun to have an exercise where... The whole movie, it's like you would take the big Lebowski, but instead of the 1% of the cool shit that happened during this period of his life, the movie was the 99% that was not mildly interesting. Because it would be like two to three hour long interactions with Monty where he has to go over to his place and, you know, Monty wants to drink a beer with him and talk about his performance. And that would be hours. It's kind of like the the tax the dude has to pay for living there and always being late on his rent or something. And this would be the whole movie. But it would not be interesting. It would suck. Well, it could be really interesting in how uninteresting it is. You'd have to achieve that level. Right. I feel like that's a some ground that the Coens have tread on before. Like With a, in, a serious man. Yes, which I haven't actually seen. I'm, I don't know. I should just shun myself now. It's not good. Interesting. Perhaps for that reason. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking Fargo, although I think they might do this. I think in some way they do it in Lebowski, kind of. But like Fargo, I feel like part of what they do is show, like, you have this weird, like, mystery murder mystery plot thing happening 
But at the same time, you have, like, it's contrasted with just the mundane of life. Or especially with, like, um, the police officer, the policewoman character. Like, yeah, her husband, her, like, like, makes the stamps, the duck stamp. Right, right. Makes or little like, paintings. Yeah. And, and he only the got the of- three center, and he's so bummed because he didn't get the 29er. Right. And she's like, hey, that three cent stamp, every time the postage goes up, they need it. Yeah, boring stuff. Now I agree with you that they do I was show. Also, of the buffet scene, there's like a scene where she's in the buffet and they're showing all the food, and she's like just scooping the food on. And I guess it had, you know, it's important to build some atmosphere or something at the same time. But I just, rem- I feel like they focus on a lot of those details throughout that movie. They there's a lot of like details, like oh, we're gonna- here's a scene that might advance the plot forward so much, but we're gonna like at the same time focus on. These bizarre details, like the Swedish meatballs and the texture in them, or the... It's a thing that they do, and they're known for it. Um, I'll say two things, though. Fargo, it wasn't a complete flip-flop of the 1% to the 99%. It's more like they were putting some of the boring life stuff in there. But remember, in that movie, people get shot in the head and the face and a guy gets put through a wood chipper no you're right it's horrible so they're punctuating sort of they create the boring landscape but then it's like it makes the horrible shit even worse like even more impactful more like shocking when you see it oh my god what just happened and prince gets shot i mean it's not every day you see prince get shot in the head so did you know that? Prince. Beginning of the movie. Towards the beginning where uh, they shoot the cop and then the car comes along. Right? Yeah. And they got to chase the car down because it like speeds away. Oh my goodness. And you're dragging a cop's body and they boom. And the guy goes and chases the car down and it swerves off the road and crashes. And Prince is the person that gets out and runs from the car. And then, what's his name? The Nihilist. Hungus. Carl Hungus shoots him in the head. At least I hope so at this point. Uh, Like, I'm so far into it. Right. Right. So. Because if that's not true, I sound like a jackass now. Well, so here's the thing. Because I'm not Googling. I hear you Googling all the shit well, out of everything. I looked up and I just was curious <laughs> about this. Because I wasn't even sure. Like, the scene you're describing, I haven't seen this movie. I haven't seen Fargo since maybe 13 years. I'm going to say 2000, roughly. Man, I've seen it like figure. six years ago. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm only vaguely aware of the scene you're talking about. So that's partly what I wanted to look at. Well, you know, they get pulled over and they shoot the cop in the head. Yeah. And the cop's dead on the road at nighttime. Right. Out in the middle of nowhere. But a car drives by as they're dragging the cop's body off the street. Right. Yeah. And then they have to go chase them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what's true. So in the the credits. Yeah. For. Fargo. Fargo. It does say. Like something like man in field or victim in field. 
and it has the little symbol. Right, the symbol. As like the okay, that's who. Played well, that's that what he how he was referred to then. He yes. didn't have a name at that time. Right. But it says here under IMDb trivia, it says despite the fact that that credit is in there, he that was not actually Prince. Damn it! It was J. Todd Anderson, who was actually a storyboard artist on the film. This was yet another Coen Brothers in-joke, since Prince was a famous native of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ah, there you go. All right, so it's almost like they intended that character to be Prince. Yeah, or something. It's weird. To further muddle matters, this moment in the film was memorialized in a, quote, snow globe, end quote, promotion included with a special edition version of the DVD, Subtly hinting that the dead victim in the snow was a famous cameo. I'm just confused now. It's weird. You can understand my confusion then. It's like they just wanted to create... Oh, here it is. From the Coen Brothers website. Was Prince really in the movie Fargo? Short answer. Nope. It was an extra who wished to remain uncredited, so it became a bit of an in-joke at the time. A modified version of the symbol does appear in the credits, though. Oh, it's mod. See, I'm not like. I don't have the symbol memorized. I don't yeah, know its every it, nuance. So the symbol has like a little. It's pretty much the symbol, or maybe it's close to the symbol, but it has like a little smiley face in it, like in the <laughs> in the circular part. When you're watching this shit on VHS on your right, little, you, t- don't, you don't know. see the little smiley face. Yeah. That vaguely resembles the Prince symbol, so... Yeah, according to Ethan Cohen, that was our storyboard artist who played the guy who drives by in the car with the red parka. He asked us if he could have that credit. And, you know, when you see them drive by, it's obvious it's not Prince. But when he gets out of the car, there's a shot. He's just running away from you, or away from the Hungus. I figured maybe... Prince was a big Coen Brothers fan or some shit, and he came to right. do that one shot as right. a lark. Or like they said, you know, he's from Minnesota, so it somehow fits in. Right. But no. Apparently not. Well, there we go. We've both learned something today. There we go. I love that. We're, that means we're getting better. Right. So, you know, maybe, again, if we're going to talk about what kind of notes would the dude possibly give him if we were to film <laughs> that scene, we could... Maybe, you know, in some goofy thing, they could credit one of the people involved in that production to be someone else. That's a famous person that's not really there. What? Almost. What, what did it, I just say? Well, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it, I think. I think I'm, I'm in that same sort of uh, verbal plane. The dude, now, if we want to talk about this minute, just for a second. Um, sure. Well, is that all we're revisiting? I only That's had one revisit, so I'm ready to move on. All right, let's move on to this minute. Minute 23. Right. We Wait. are now in the Which, the, uh, which the, it, the uh, titular Lebowski's abode again. Right, we've been in this hallway before. We saw the dude walking the other direction down this hallway at 2201. Brant was walking towards him. He was walking. I think it's the same one. Even if it's not supposed to be the same one, they could have very well just reused the same hallway. 
it might as well be, you know. I mean, this is where we could get into like what is the, you know, the geometries and the blueprints of the Lebowski estate because he's not in the same room where he met with the dude before. No. Is he in an adjacent room? Is he in a whole different wing? This is apparently the west wing. I want to say that this room where they meet is... So as the dude leaves the titular Lebowski's um, study, I guess, the first time they meet each other, I want to say that as you leave his study, the room featured in this minute is directly to the right. So, I guess I take it back. The dude is walking the opposite direction of the way he was walking in the previous minute where we were in this hallway. Bran is walking the same direction. Right. But they walked right by this wet, quote-unquote, west wing here. Okay. I think. I don't, uh, that's the spatial sense I get from this, but I don't know why. I'm not sure if I have any proof for well, that. Well, there was that other room attached to the study. Like, you know, he comes through. Right, right. That other room behind him where you also see a maid in there. I don't know if that could be real, that this room he's in now or related to that somehow. Well, I, see, I think the maid was in the hallway. So at 2201 to 2203, the hallway with the black and white checkered floor. That's where I thought the maid was. Or you're saying the maid was in this new room that we're about to enter. So, I'm saying the maid was in the new room, hmm. potentially. Hmm. So, because in the study, there are two doors. Right. One is like a standard kind of door. That's where the dude somehow walks there, but it takes like 12 seconds for him to get right. there. Right? right. There's just a door. You can open and go out. Then, But then, kind of like on, on the wall adjacent to that, there is another door. And that's the door with the, the titular Bowski opened with the remote control. And there's like a whole other huge room in there. And that is not the hallway. You are correct. That is not the hallway. So that could very well be the fireplace room, we'll call it. Yeah. So there's or they, or they could be completely different wings of the house also. I mean it's possible. We need to collect more data. We need to analyze. I would like to construct a complete blueprint. We should get Doc Brown to help us construct a scale model of this home. Well, I'm reminded of this whole, like, you know, like these people that have created the, you know, like with The Shining. Have you seen that? Like, oh, here's how all the impossibilities. We talked about this in this podcast. No, I don't think so. No? We did talk about The Shining briefly, but more like, whatever. I can't go back to that. Yeah. doesn't matter. Anyway. We can we can construct blueprints of Lebowski Estate and show how it's physically impossible. Well, but how the Cohen brothers is obviously was meant to unnerve us. Because when he gets up out of his chair in that scene, the whole time there's that open door behind him where the maid is screwing around. But and that's the door the titular Lebowski came in. But when he gets up, he starts walking towards the open door. But when we cut back to him, he's walking towards a closed door. I just... 
And he walks to the right, but then you see the chair in the foreground, and it's angled the wrong way. I, I, I can't go. It's 1443. There's no way I can go back that far. I just we'll, got to get over it. We'll just have to readdress this when we do our deep cast of our original podcast. That's right. That's right. Where we, we do a deep analysis of our first analysis. We don't want to steal our hits. No. So... So we talked before about the music, all the music being diagen- diegetic. Is it diegetic with a T? Jetic? Diegetic? Uh, we went. We I asked for clarification in a previous episode. I get confused. Diegetic. Whatever. Jetic with a T. The T. Diegetic. Is it? Um, is this music in here? I would say I yes. Think? Motivated by. I was. I was looking for some hint of that and i didn't get a chance i was kind of came out unclear but i figured you would have some solid proof or a solid analysis it just gets louder when he opens the door which is kind of weird because we're already inside the room when we they walk down the hallway brant swings the door open very theatrically and the music gets louder which is a little counter counterintuitive because we're already inside the room. It should already be loud, but we're like we're, sort of from the perspective of the dude at right, this we're point. It from the dude's right, view. right. So it, and it does get a little louder. Yes, the music is Mozart, by the way. Mozart. It is requiem requiem in D minor. Mozart. 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 Johnny Mozart. Yo, Mozart. What up, man? We going mudslinging later? I know what that was. That wasn't just, you know. Sometimes I hang Me out. Mozart ate a lot of soup. In Louisiana, you know, for too long. I've been to Louisiana twice this year, so. Sometimes and weird shit happens. Never been to Louisiana, unfortunately. Not even through it? don't think so. I'd like to be. I'd like to visit all 50 states. I, it's a dream of mine. I have quite a few of them under the belt. but I think I have a lot too, but there's some that you just think, well, I'm never going to go there. Idaho. i got to go to Idaho, am I? Idaho has some stuff in it. it I, I, well, I know it does. Napoleon Dynamite was filmed there, for God's sakes. There's some natural beauty in Idaho. Definitely. Idaho, I was very, was I? I feel like I was very close to Idaho. It seems like you would, because you made a little journey across the country in your car. Yes. Part of Yellowstone Park borders on Idaho. Does it go into Idaho? Like a little sliver of it. (gasps) Are you serious? we were very close to the exit. That would be on the Idaho side. Part of Yellowstone National Park is in Idaho? Yeah. My geospatial compass just got... Idaho is right next to Washington and Oregon. A big kick in the nuts. You're forcing me to break all the rules right now. Idaho, Yellowstone, goes all the way up there? Mm-hmm. Yellowstone is in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. 
that it? I feel like there's a fourth state. Well, it doesn't dip down into Arizona, does it? No. Or over to Nevada? No, just Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. So when you're in Yellowstone, you're kind of right by, you know, the nexus of those three states there. So, yeah, I never, we never actually b b ventured across the border to Idaho, but we are close. And there were some features in Idaho we would have considered looking at, but instead we went further south through more of Wyoming, got to through the Tetons, the Jackson Hole. Salt Lake City, go through there. No. Once we got through Wyoming, we then went east through Wyoming and into, what would that be, ne Nebraska? Oh, that was on your way back. The way back. Wyoming, yeah, Yellowstone. Well, yes. Um, well, old Jackson Hole was more or less as far as we got, and then it's like, okay, we're going to start heading east again. I see. But, uh, but yeah. So, yeah, lots of states. South Dakota is an interesting state. I, I want to go there because I want to see the Badlands. Yes. Did you see my pictures? A couple of them, yes. And it just stoked the fires more. Yep. Yep. It's definitely worth going there. North Dakota, I'm sure there's things there. Every place has natural beauty. But South Dakota, Badlands, man. Badlands? And while you're there, you're going to have to go see, uh, what is it? Mount Rushmore? Rushmore, yeah. That's in south, right? Yeah, it's in yeah. south. North doesn't have much going on. Yeah, but south, the, 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 yeah, the uh, South Dakota, yeah, South Dakota is Badlands and Mount Rushmore. Yeah. They're, they're kind of relatively close to each other. Yeah, they're a little greedy, a little greedy, South Dakota. You could split those two up, you know? The North should have something. Fair too much. It's got I-94, though. Well, there you go. South Dakota has I-90. None of them have 80. 80 goes through Nebraska. Yes, yeah, we were, yeah, we took Route 80 through Nebraska. I do believe. And then you curved up north and went back east. Or no, maybe 80 just no. wound around. I don't think so. What, and then did you just Go back the same way you came? No. East? No. Nebraska is south of South Dakota. Correct. So, so you, we came back south of where we went through originally. Did you go 90 or 94 when you were heading west? I don't remember the route numbers. I must, very well, must, maybe. Must have been 90. Through South Dakota, and then you we went, went south. Through here, if I look at the map, I can tell you what we did. We ended up, we ended up going through. I can see what this is. Ninety. Yes, ninety. Right, that goes all the way through South Dakota. Yes, ninety was. Yep, yeah, ninety, and then past Rapid City, South Dakota, and then. From there, I'm not 100% clear. I think we stayed on 90, actually, and went through 90 in Montana also. Now, you didn't have a destination other than, let's go look at this country we live in for a certain period of time, and then we'll be 
back and we'll turn around and then we'll be back yes. home. We did not have it planned out at all. Like this is what we do these days. We had some ideas of some places we would see. Like we figured we would see the Badlands and we would see Yellowstone. The thing was, we had no idea how far we could make it. Right. Like we we're like, well, can we make it that far? We made really good time, even though like we never really did a lot of like, I felt like hard driving hmm. for lack of a better word. I mean, we did lots of stops. We saw lots of little things. You know, we saw the Corn Palace, which the Corn Palace, that is also in South Dakota, right? I don't know I this don't Corn Palace. Yeah, the Corn Palace in... Um, Sioux Falls? No. Mitchell, South Dakota. Man. Yeah, Corn Yeah, South Dakota has all kinds of things. They just hog know? it all. Yeah, we saw we were we saw Chicago, Lake Michigan, House on the Rock, the big jolly giant guy, right? That guy, Minnesota, Badlands, Devil's Tower. Although you know what North Dakota Mount does Rushmore. have, we've already talked about it. Fargo, Fargo, Fargo. North Dakota. Yeah, it it straddles the border. It actually spills over into uh, Minnesota or whatever it is. Yeah, Minnesota. But at least it has that major motion picture based in one of its cities. So that's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. That's a Curb Your Enthusiasm reference. Yes, it is. So you mentioned earlier Brant throwing the door open. Theatrically. Theatrically. And he says, Mr. Lebowski. And is he, I assume he's referring to the titular Lebowski. Or so is he introducing the dude? I feel like, even though it seems like he is referring to the titular Lebowski, just there's something about the rhythm or the way it's... Like, I think, oh, he's saying... And the way he's gesturing with his hand is if he's to say, like... This is the person that's entering. Right. It was like, yeah, I'm present. No, I feel like he's referring to the titular Lebowski. I am presenting him. Like, let me look. Here he is. Here it. I now have thrown open the door and revealed Mr. Lebowski. Right. But that's what I, I'm saying. But sense, common sense dictates. Well, no, he's like introducing. Right. That's what you would do. That the convention like, of opening yeah. a door and somebody entering the room is you. You announce the person that's entering right. the room, not right. the person that's already in the room. Yeah, not the person just sitting there. Right. Like you're the king of England sitting on the throne. The people come to see you. Right. The dude calls out the name. You know. But I feel like he is actually referring to the titular Lebowski. Even he's flying in the face of convention here. Well, maybe, uh, it, you know, it was unclear. It just says Mr. Lebowski in the script. That's what P.S. Hoff thought for some reason. It just came out weird. Because the way he flourishes, but it, granted, he'd still flourish that way. He's just introducing. No, it's just weird. I think I was just... I just always felt he was saying Mr. Lebowski referring to the titular Lebowski because I've just been stupid. Well... He, he's referring to the dude. Let's think about this for a second, though. He's already acquiesced and given in to referring to the dude as dude or the dude, though. 
Although, no, that doesn't hold water because the message on the phone, on the answering machine, Mr. Lebowski, this is a brand from, uh, well, it's not about, yeah. Because as they were on the terrace, he had started to refer to the dude as the dude, because that's how the dude preferred to be referred to. Does he refer to him as dude on the terrace? I don't remember. Yes, he does. Well, hopefully we'll see you again sometime, dude. Okay, yep, you're right. You know? But then but this he is again goes, a formal introduction. Yeah, I was this just going to say the right, dude, right? And you know, I'm sure the titular Lebowski does not play along with that whole thing, right? So he's not going to do it that way. Just when it's Brant and the dude one on one, right? Break it nice up. casual times. They're hanging yeah. out a little bit. He's definitely referring to the titular Lebowski. He gestures his arm out and says, "There he is, over by the fire." Mr. Lebowski. I don't, I just think, I don't think we're stupid. You have more faith in us than I do. That's shocking. (laughs) The dude's shirt. You know anything about this shirt? I do know a few things about this shirt. Isn't that madness? What do you know about it? Well, so he's wearing this kind of like, it's this weird like earth tone it's a can and brown, like, baseball shirt. It's a baseball shirt. I had one of these shirts growing up, and I never once played baseball in my life. Yeah. But yeah, I love too. this shirt. The shirt was I think, awesome. I yeah. loved it. I think there was a time in our youth where those shirts were like, yeah, they, they were like. They were the shit. That's what you did. You wore shirts like Yeah. Two-tone. The shirt. sleeves were a sl- different color than the rest right. of it. And the sleeves were short. Yeah, not well, not not short sleeves, mind you. No, no, no. Like three quarters sleeves. Right. More like four fifths. Maybe four fifths. Even it's weird. Right. It's strange. Shortened, not short, but shortened. Yes. Shortened, sh- shortened shirts. Shortened sleeves shirts. Right. Say that five times. I I refuse. But yes, it was this tan and brown baseball shirt with this strange like line art of a Japanese baseball player with some Japanese lettering on it. Like hand-drawn lettering. Yeah. And a hand-drawn baseball player. And ha- Right, yeah. It, it's weird. It's weird kind of like, yeah, just like line art. It's almost like something you draw on a napkin. It's like, it's the same graphic artist that did the the Variety Clubs International logo possibly did this logo. Possibly. It's possibly. it's just very primitive. They both have the same level of primitiveness, I think. But this apparently is a real thing. Yes, this dude, well, yeah, so the... Uh, be careful now. Right, I gotta be careful. The, uh... Yes, so, yes, the, uh, so, the, yes, Japanese baseball player. It is apparently Kaoru Beto, Kaoru Beto, who played for the Osaka Tigers in 1948 and 1949. He's known as the Gentleman of Baseball. He was one of the first Japanese power hitters. Yeah, he was, uh, he was the Babe Ruth of Japan, basically. The first first slugger, I guess. 
in the uh, Nippon Professional Baseball League. So you said he played for the Osaka Tigers for two years, but he also played for the Manichi Orions for eight years. Okay. So. And the uh, the characters on the top translate to strongly influential. Well, there you go. As the first slugger in Japanese baseball, he would be strongly influential. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he wore yeah. gl- he wore glasses. Of course, he did. I mean, he's not going to be able to hit without them. He can't see the ball coming. Maybe there. Uh, it's so uh, there's a photo on the Wikipedia page, and obviously there's the line art drawing, but they're both monochromatic. I wonder if Kaoru Beto was wearing blue blockers. I I like to think in my dreams that he was. Just another way to bring it all full circle. So apparently, like many of the other items here, this shirt was actually from Jeff Bridges' own closet. Right, it's his wardrobe. Yes. Apparently Jeff Bridges also wore this in The Fisher King. Right. And... Uh, Cold Feet, which I hadn't heard of. You know this movie? I don't know this movie. Cold Feet. Not the British comedy drama, just in case you get confused. Okay. That was from, you know, 98 or something. Cold Feet, the movie, is from, I'm going to say 89. Yeah, 89. You got a 4.6 out of 10 on uh, IMDb. But he wore the same t-shirt in that. And not only that, now this is citation needed, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But there's at least speculation that Jeff Bridges wore this in Tron Legacy. Hmm, I've seen that movie several times. I have not seen it all the way through. I've only seen the last, like, 20 minutes. Tron Legacy isn't great. It's okay. Seems like There's definitely yeah. moments, especially when it starts, I'm like, oh, this could be really good, man. Right. I'm into it. And it's it's pretty good. It, But seeing Bridges in it, he does play kind of like a dude-esque character. Well, I guess we don't want to do too many spoilers, but I have seen the end of it. Yep. Yes. Young Bridges or Old Bridges? Old Bridges. Okay, played the dude-like character. He would he's think. very, like, you know... Well, he's definitely... So, once again, he's into this Zen-type thing. Because here he is, like, trapped in this computer for what to him has been, like, an eternity. Just living in this weird, cold, computer-like world. And he's kind of, like, gotten, like, you know, his little, like, key to cosmos and his whole brain. But, you know, in the movie, you know... He, he starts to have to, like, engage again, go on another adventure. And he does have this kind of, like, whoa, far out, man. You know, mm. like, I just totally Tron those guys out, man, <laughs> kind of thing about him. There, there's some dude, slightly dude-esque feeling to his role. Like, if you put the dude in a computer-generated action movie... He might turn into this and person. And somehow make it work. Well, that's what the movie was. Hmm. 
Like you have to you have to adapt the dude a little bit to make him like you know a star in an action movie. You think it suffered a little bit for that? You don't think that was quite the right fit? Well, I'm just saying it's not. No, I'm not saying it's not the right fit one way or the other. I'm just saying it's not the dude, right? Like you have to take the dude and modify him for that genre to make it work. Like if he really was was the dude, it wouldn't have worked. I have, by the way, before we get too far along. Uh, the opinion of a student of baseball that Kaoru Beto was one of the all-time greats, a true genius on the field. And the genius he was referring to was the hitting. So his hitting was genius. Able, the ability to strike a spherical object with a cylindrical object. There's genius involved, apparently. It's an art form, without a doubt. Which you have to be a there's genius a, a to grace. truly master. There's the, yeah, there's a grace to the whole thing. I mean, is ballet an art? I would say yes. Certainly. Is hitting that ball an art? Definitely. I guess so. So this movie called Feet you referenced? Mm-hmm. Is it like a porno? The description says adult film stars Stacey Valentine and Ian Daniels play the leading role in this erotic drama. Um, I think you're looking at the wrong Cold Feet. Was that in 89? Yes. This stars and Keith Carradine and Sally Kirkland, Tom Waits, yes. Bill Pullman, Rip Torn. Yes. yes. Rip Torn was in a porn? Well, I Rip don't think torn it was a porn. porn. I don't think it was a porn porn, as in like, you know... Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club gangbang porn. Rit it's porn. This was a, like more like a an erotic drama. You know, there's a subtle distinction there. I, this is the description I see. Three thieves are on the run after a jewel heist. <laughs> Soon, in-group power struggle ensues. Are you looking at? I'm looking the same at the thing. I think I think Rotten Tomatoes database is just screwed up and it somehow <laughs> has two different movies <laughs> like put together. I don't think that is what is happening here. Because that's, that's the movie. It has those people. Now, he's got a saucy face on him, but and it that doesn't equate to like... Stacy Valentine and Ian Down. The description, if you look at the, the the cast, it does say Stacey Valentine, but it also says Keith Carradine, Sally Kirkland, Bill Pullman, all those people. Well, there's no Stacy. what's-her-name in this version. That's what I mean. Ron Tomato somehow mashed up right. two movies into one somehow. Which is, that's not helpful. No, it's that was actually unhelpful. <laughs> right? <laughs> Extremely. It takes this in a whole new direction. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say they're incorrect, but it's the dangers of relying on the internet for your research right. because you can enter these closed loops right. where one thing references the other thing but it references back to the first thing and you you think you've cross-referenced enough for information to be accurate but oh no 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 you have not lord almighty what does the dude take out of his teeth there i don't know i was wondering what about is that, that? what his dinner, like a piece of his dinner that was just in there? I would have said it was some of his 
his hand-rolled cigarette that he put in his mouth. That's what I feel like. But it's not. No, because he does it before he inserts the hand-rolled cigarette into his mouth. So, And I'm assuming it's a hand-rolled cigarette, but maybe it's more like it's mass-produced, but they just have an aura of hand-rolledness to them, like backwoods cigars. They look like they're hand-rolled by Uncle Jesse himself. Yeah. But, you know, well, it's a very carefully crafted conceit. Yes. Well, he pulls it out of his teeth, kind of like looks at it in the finger a little, but then it's kind of does like a little like, huh? Like, kind of like... Look at finger. that. Like, I just flicked it away. You know, I'm... But before, so, I got to back up, though, because I forgot to mention something very important about this t-shirt. Okay. There's a question mark on it. I own that t-shirt. That very one? Well, a reproduction. With the same strange characters and the, the line drawings? Ca- yep. It took you this long to say that? Well, I was saving it up, and then we got on this sidetrack about whatever. But You own this? Yeah. When did it come into your possession? Only like a month or two ago. How did this happen? I saw it online. You know, searching around Lebowski stuff for this podcast, I saw like, oh, you could buy a reproduction. And I was just so taken with it. It's... I said, yes, click. How much was it? I, I don't remember, to be honest. I don't think it's too much. No. Co- we should get them to sponsor this show. Cost is no object, really. It really is a yeah. choice t-shirt. It's, a, it's definitely a kick-ass shirt, without a doubt. So add it to my list of last-minute gift ideas, blue blockers, and this shirt. Yep. I should also mention that I bought a couple of shirts at the Little Lebowski shop, and one of these days we should have some sort of contest and somebody can win these shirts. I got two to give away here. They're ready to go out. I'm not giving my shirt away. No, I got two. I haven't right. worn them. They are re- in the bag, like ready to be sent out to somebody. What are they? What kind of shirts? Like, is that a surprise or? It'll, it's, it doesn't have to be a surprise, but it can be revealed closer to the. Uh, right. We need to work out the logistics of this right. contest. Yeah. We, before we start revealing the content I think of we the have, shirts. We might have almost five listeners here. So four. Because almost five. Right. Well, it's either four. It's four. Almost five is four. Almost five isn't three. That's not almost five. That's only 60% of 100. That's not almost getting a perfect score. Four is almost 80%. Four. Right. Four. That's what almost five is. So we have four. So I'll amend We've gained one. I'll say we're smart. I think we are very solidly. I feel we have four. We might have a fifth. So it might be time to celebrate. We could give away some t-shirts. All right. That's a a capital idea there, Adam. So celebrate the fifth listener. You have a a 20% chance of winning this thing. You know? Holy shit. That's pretty... Good odds. Them's pretty good odds. I must say. Yeah, I'm going to have to get me one of these... One of these shirts. And I feel like what he's removing from his teeth is a piece of his dinner. Yeah, I think you're right. This is whatever he ate. There it was in there, and he just kind of looks at it. He's like, decides if he's going to reconsume it. 
Nah, I don't think. Flicks it off. Tons of statues in this room. And these statues, this whole movie is a celebration of statues. There's statues everywhere. The dude has those weird statues of, like, a weird bowling man. Right. The, yeah. the titular Lebowski's house is filled with these statues. Right. And they're... Well, the tit... Go on. Well, they're illuminated by these candelabras, too. But the candelabras are electric candelabras with no covers or anything. It's just exposed light bulbs. That's what we're to believe is illuminating this scene. That and the fire. But if you look at the dude's face, the lighting is gorgeous. Gorgeous. And for all intensive purposes, it's steady. Like the light level is steady. Even though we're, we're led to believe that most of this scene is motivated by the flickering fire. Right. I mean, there's a flicker on his face, right? A little bit. A Enough little to, I mean, bit. like, again, there's the film reality and real reality, right? Yes, if you went to shoot someone in this room with just the fire, it would, like, A, be way too dark. You might not even see anything. And if you could, like, the flickering would be severe. And you'd see one little hot yeah. spot on their cheekbone. Yeah, exactly. And, and sunken sockets where their eye should be. But they've recreated using artificial lighting what sitting by a fire actually looks like to our eye. Which is the whole art of it. Yes. You can see this played out at 22.15 as we're dollying towards the titular Lebowski in his wheelchair. If you look into the fireplace, so now within the confines of the fireplace... Right. Only the fire is illuminating that in there. In reality, if you were looking at this. But right. it, it's rock solid. But what? Yeah, now that you point that out, like, what is going on there? It's like they have a, yeah. They huge, have a huge light, just like. Spotlight bam. shining down. Right. Like, yeah. This is the bright area. We're motivating from the fire. Yeah. You can see every little detail the inside of that fireplace it is like so bright right and it is not like a golden like fire light like you see on the dude's face it is just bright just white, bright white light. yeah it's just like they have a yeah one you, huge ass bulb in there you can see every imperfection of like the plaster and the paint job and all these sort of it's like two different colors it's white and it's darker gray but Whoever painted it or whatever that is, there's like shitty areas. Just because you have like 2,000 watts of light just shining directly on it. But there is a fire in there, like an actual fire. You can see it. I would say that is... Now, it might be gas, but that's fire. Those are flames. Yeah. But then when you go to the reverse shot of the dude and Brant entering, it's flickering pretty damn good. So that's like another one of the giant lights. But then they have these devices. It's like a fan with blades on it with like different shapes of shit that go in front of the light to make it flicker. That's what that is. 
Is that what you would call a gobo? Goes before optics? I, yeah, you know what? I guess so. I always thought of a gobo as a solid pattern, but I guess it doesn't really matter. It could be a variable moving pattern. Well, it's a bunch sure. of gobos on a fan. Yeah, sure. So maybe multiple gobos. I just wanted to show off that I knew the term gobo. And I knew that it means go before optics, even though I don't really understand that. I did not know that it meant go before optics. but That's that, what I've heard. That makes sense. But I also like the websites that say that, say it means go before optics, but what the fuck does that mean? Because the, the light fixture is not necessarily an optic, is it? I, well, I right. guess it has a, it, if it has a lens, if it's like a Fresnel, then maybe it is. Which it would need to be, because it's focusing the light. That's the only... Because if you just put... Like you cut a pattern out of aluminum foil and put it in front of a light bulb, just a regular right, light bulb. Right, That's not going right. to work. It's not going to create some cool looking pattern. It's going to look like nothing. So you have to have a lens in front of the light to focus the beams of light, and then you shine it through like the bat signal, and then it makes the pattern. So yeah, go be sure go before optics. Yes, I like it. I like that very much. But the amount of light that fire is spitting out flicker-wise in the titular Lebowski shot does not match the amount of flicker in the room when we have the reverse shot of the dude and Brant. It's one of these things. They, they want to sell the fact that the fire is here, but clearly you can't light a scene to any degree with a fire. Like That's not actually providing any of the level in this scene, the fire. No, no. That would do nothing. We can actually see the other side of the fireplace, and it's not as harsh on the other side somehow. It's fire. I just can't stop looking at it. So it looks like it's roaring now that we're looking at the titular Lebowski from this side. But in the other shot, maybe it's just that we're seeing the other side of it, but in the other shot it looked yeah. well, the small. Yeah. Well, the other shot, you couldn't see, like, a lot of the logs or anything. Sure. So sure. it's like, you couldn't, you can't really, I don't think it's really fair to judge it that way, say it's different. It's just like, yeah, the angle, you're only seeing a little corner, you know, a little piece of it is mostly obscured. Yeah, and from the other angle, you can get a much more full view. I'm just watching the movie right now. You're actually, yeah, you're actually over an hour into it at this point. You've just been watching it the entire time. The titular Lebowski's got all his booze there, too. Scotches and cognacs and brandies and bourbons. But I don't believe that he's actually drinking any of them. They were just wheeled in there as props. Right. I don't think he drinks that shit. He just put it there, like, to sort of sell the fact of how broken and upset he is that Bunny is missing. I gotta drown my sorrows. He's not drinking anything. There's no cup in his hand. He's not. They're just there as props. They're just there in case he needs them. Maybe Brent wheeled them in. Wheeled them in. I think it just makes it. It's a little more theatrical. It puts on a good show. What makes a man, Mister Lebowski? Dude. Huh. Right. Huh. Like, that's one thing that I cued in on watching this minute. Like, 
I don't know. He makes such a... It's it's like the penguin from the old school Batman or something. Like such a Yeah, I was gonna say redneckian. Sound. It's a redneckian sound. But it's you're right, it's it's less of a redneckian. It's just lowbrow. It's a lowbrow right. sound. Or it's, or it's just like, you know, the stereotypical like old person that can't hear. Huh? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I never really noticed him making that sound until just now, like, you know, trying to deeply pay attention to this minute. Yeah. What makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? Dude. Dude. Huh? You know, I think um, it, it... Um, I, I don't know, sir. It's a double whammy because he's reacting to probably not being able to hear him so well. He is close to the fire, which is probably loud. And also, right. maybe he did hear him, but just not understanding what he said. What makes a man? Dude. Wait, dude makes him... Huh? Right, yeah. He doesn't understand. He doesn't speak the dude's language. It's dude. If he would have said it's it's dude, sir, not Mister Lebowski, he would understand that. And maybe instead of going, huh, he would have gone, <clears throat> just grunted at it. But he's confused on two levels. Yeah, why does the dude come here? You wrote this in the document. Why does the dude come here? Right, like what did, so the dude actually eventually does call Brant back, or maybe Brant calls back once the dude is home, I don't know. He picks it up accidentally, him. right, and convinces him. You gotta come. There, there, what would, but really, what would make the dude go there? Maybe he said there's money in it for you. Maybe, and also I think that's part of the reason why they don't show literally how that decision happens. Like one, it's maybe it's not important, and also like how do you explain it? Like, it's not important. He just ends up doing it. And, like, when you watch a movie, you know, you tend to kind of, like, it is like a dream in a lot of ways. Like, you just move from scene to scene. You gloss over the... You're not critical. Like, I was never critical, ever, of of why did the dude go there, right? It's only now you're really thinking about it. It's like, well, what's really going on? Like, why would the dude actually go there? There's logical gloss overs that happen. But that's part of the, like benefit of making a movie you can like choose where to put these holes it's like well this is going to be tricky how do we get around this fucking cut to a different scene man yeah yeah or you know it's not even like it's not just even that they're just cutting it out to make their own lives easier like it's just making a better movie because we don't necessarily need to know no, we it doesn't. You know, let's right. keep the action moving, right? They showed the dude. There was a machine saying, "We want you to come." Like the answering machine said, "We want you to come here." Okay, cut to him being there. We don't have to cu- cut to him like talking to Donnie and Walter. Like, should I go or shouldn't I go? I don't know. <laughs> well, and they saying, "Oh, you should go because he's rich. Maybe he'll give you money." Okay, like they don't need to show all that. Just cut to the next action. Tricky to know when to do that and when not to do that, you know? Yeah, I feel like I would have a problem with that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I would be putting in, like, too much detail to try to explain why. Yeah, I would put in that scene of him with... Walter and Donnie, right. To, like, have him, like... And that dialogue could, like, kind of externalize the thought process of what would lead him to actually go there... And then someone would say, just cut all that out. Make it shorter. 
And I would say, oh, but then you don't understand why he goes there. I need to have that scene in. Which would make perfect logical sense. No sense without it. Right. But I would be wrong. You would be wrong. You would be wrong. There's a And there's a whole thing where in movie reality, you can't, not that you can't, but you're treading on dangerous ground when you start to have your characters return to the same setting over and over again without anything like quote unquote bigger happening or more important like any major plot shit happening if you have this movie where the character is in their apartment then they go to the coffee shop and they have the conversation and then they return to their apartment they go to work hit up the coffee shop now they're back in their apartment now they're back in the coffee shop by the time they're in that coffee shop for the third time you're just like completely exasperated because it seems like the entire movie has taken place in the friggin' coffee shop and you get caught in like this closed loop and it seems very claustrophobic or something. There's a big no-no to like just keep going back and forth between one environment and another environment without mixing it up. And you either do that by, you know, ramping up the suspense or the, tension or whatever, or by changing the physical environment. Although in this movie, they do return to the bowling alley a lot. They do, but there's always something new happening. Right. They're not just going there to whine about their lives. Right, right. The Jesus is there, then the Jesus is threatening them. Donnie has something happen. We don't want to... The, uh, yeah... Or, you know, Walter pulls a gun on a guy. (laughs) Right. Points it in his face. Um, The fire doesn't make a lot of noise either. I want to say that just as a sound note. There wasn't a whole lot I heard. But it doesn't... You would think it's featured so prominently, at least visually, that you would hear it a lot too. Like logs cracking, you know. Mm-hmm. Just crackling and roaring, but you don't really hear it too much. They left most of the fire's impact for the visuals. Here and there, it'll come through with a couple of cracks or two, but mostly it's missing from the sound design. Which again must be intentional, but. Also, Keoru Beto, is that his name? I believe so, yes. According to my baseball expert, he was no Sadaharu O, who hit a home run when he was 55 years old. Wow. Now that's... I don't know a lot about baseball, but that seems pretty impressive, considering it's widely regarded as the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit that ball with that bat. Now, how you're a person that actually knows who Japanese baseball players are, you must really love baseball to follow it that closely. I guess. I don't know. Maybe Japan is where... Real baseball is still being played in a few places. Maybe. They've been playing a whole lot about 
sports. They've been playing baseball for a long time. At least since like the 30s, 20s maybe even. So think about that. Baseball had to travel from this country to Japan mm-hmm. by the 30s. That must have taken a long time. You had to go pretty much by boat. Not a lot of like commercial airlines servicing Japan in the 30s, 20s, 30s. It's just a slower process, the dissemination of information and the sharing of culture. It was a slower process back then. It's instantaneous now. I think that's something we take for granted a little bit. How difficult it was to share things. You don't even have to go back to the 20s, 30s. 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 8 years ago. The example I always cite is we started um, in 2005... April of 2005, a movie challenge where we would, uh, it's like a weekend movie challenge, and we'd have teams together, and you'd shoot a movie in a weekend and upload it by Sunday. But when we started that in 2005, YouTube didn't exist. And it was a really big freaking deal to try to get video onto the web. And it was difficult. But now, if I wanted to shoot a video and upload it, I could do it in literally 10 seconds. Right. Well, you don't even have to, like, shoot the video. You can just, like, the cam... You can just record from the camera on your computer directly onto the website. Yeah, four seconds. into YouTube or Facebook. Yeah. Or Ustream. Ustream. And well, now we have the phone, right? So now everyone has the video camera in their pocket connected to the network. However long it takes me to load that app, that's how long it'll take me to have a movie online. Crazy world. But back in the 20s, 30s, it probably took a little longer than that to, like, pass the rules and the um, philosophies and the traditions of baseball from continent to continent. It was a bigger deal. Much bigger deal. I got nothing else. I'm tapped. You got anything for me? Got Got nothing. You got any, like, were you saving any, uh, saving any home runs? Wasn't saving anything. I, I, I used everything I got. You saved the, uh, baseball shirt. But you only saved that till, like, three quarters of the way through. Right. That was my one surprise. That was your one heavy hitter. I had no heavy hitters this time, but some interesting things. I was looking forward to discussing this shirt. It's a cool shirt. It's a very cool shirt. It's it's one of the most kick-ass shirts I've I know. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, Brad, it has been a fine adventure once again. Likewise, Adam. Let's uh, let's do it again, and maybe we'll pick it up at minute twenty-four. What do you say? Sounds like a plan. All right. Next time on Gutterball.
mind if I do a J?